Merry Christmas, strangers. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Festivus. <laughs> Festivus for the rest of us. As it. you can hear, we are here with my brother, Corey. Did I even introduce you in our last episode? I think they know by this point. Yeah. Not I am here with my brother, Corey. <laughs> we are here in the strange cellar, Christmas Eve, snow falling outside. Bing Crosby's in the corner. Bing Crosby's the in the corner. Uh, Corey's drunk on eggnog already. Oof. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, none of that's true. Again, we lie a lot at Christmas. It is, what is it, November 7th? It's actually like yes, November, 7th, November 7th, and it's like 60 yep. degrees outside. Mm-hmm. But we're recording the Christmas episode now just because Corey's here with us. We just did the episode about Vatican. Fatima and the Vatican stuff. So I have to remember to take pictures, so I have something to post. <laughs> Corey, smile. Um, so for this episode, as always, we love giving you guys a little bonus Christmas Eve episode because we know by this time you guys have went a couple weeks without really listening to us. Mm-hmm. So stir crazy, stir crazy. We just want our to, winter break. We're it is our, winter, our break. winter break. We need to recharge our batteries. So we just wanted to give you a little special Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. And Corey is joining us for this one. Hopefully, all is well with your Christmas Eve so far. You're getting all the presents you wanted. I hope so. Your family's with you. It's so hard for me to get in the mindset of Christmas, like right now, because it's, we just had Halloween. Really? Because there's like Christmas movies on and oh, commercials for Christmas stuff everywhere. Menards has their trees up already. <laughs> no. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I wasn't really sure what to do for this episode, and this is something that I've been saying, oh, we're going to do an episode about that in the future. Mm-hmm. We're going to do an episode. So today we are going to be talking about armchair treasure hunts mm. i love them Corey's gotten into them too which is awesome krista knows a little bit about them mm-hmm. but not a lot about them i've never done one no I mean, you were doing them when you were <laughs> a kid <laughs> when i was a kid uh our, our listener beth hovanek who made our awesome toy and b tiles t-shirts is a hardcore armchair treasure hunt person that's how i met her she makes her own so we're gonna dive into that in a little bit figured that was like a good a good Christmas topic. It's nothing paranormal, but there is mystery involved. So mm-hmm. we are going to do a little taste test again before the episode. We don't really have any housekeeping or any new listeners because we just recorded a previous episode. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to nail it. I actually have the SD card in it. Um, I'm going to plan to turn it on and hit record. <laughs> <laughs> And just for you guys, take the lens cap off. At some point in the episode, I'm going to try a Dunder Salt again yeah. because Corey tried one and said they're not that bad. You once get past you get the through the side. initial yuckiness, I will not be trying another no. one. No, and our taste test will be candy canes and eggnog, right? Uh, no, oh, our candy's uh, great though. It's going to be our, our candy cane, <laughs> our, candy our taste <laughs> tests. One of them is just going to be you because Chris and I are just going to nope out of Chris this. Protecting right away. me, I don't even what? know what it is. The first one we're going to do from Norway. Panda, Panda brand, original licorice. Okay. So we're going to have some black licorice. So I need to get the camera set up. Yeah. Kurt's already like going to town. None of us are fans of black licorice, really. Yeah. But apparently, I don't remember, but it was, it was good. It was like a good black licorice. You guys, you guys went into it thinking you weren't going to like it. And we liked it. ended up giving like a 10. Which is opposite of us usually thinking we're going to like something (laughs) and then we actually hate it. Yeah. So these are, this is like only four ingredients in this thing. Original licorice. So this is like, apparently in Norway, they really like their black licorice. That's what I'm taking from our candy is that there's a lot of licorice flavored stuff. 
I suppose I suppose everybody's got their regional favorites, yeah. things they like to eat. And... Yeah, apparently Mexico likes everything spicy and hurting hurting my tongue and tomatoey. What is Wisconsin's? Cheese curds. Cheese curds, some bratwurst. It's like it's part of the uh, Kringles. Yeah. Everybody loves Kringles. I love Kringles. Those are good. Uh, Aaron and I were geocaching last week, and we contemplated getting a big one and us just eating it while we were out geocaching. So I usually get one at home, and then we're just going to have a small piece, and then an hour <laughs> later the whole no, thing is gone. There is no small piece when yeah. it comes to a Kringle. Especially the raspberry one. No, the cream cheese one. Raspberry. Apple. Apple. I'm cut off already. Too drunk on eggnog. <laughs> Monster. Are you ready? This I think this is Hold just on. going to I be... Hold on. i got to hit record, everyone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now we should see that it's actually recording. Yeah, it's blinking. Okay. Yay. So it we says... are having Panda Original Black Licorice. We had to do it at some point. Christmas. At least people have laid off the pickle stuff. Now it seems like we get a lot of black li- licorice stuff. Oh, I should take a picture of the bag. Too. Oh, it's like. Licorice, oh, licorice. Wow. This is like legit licorice. This is four right. ingredients. Okay. Take I want to take a picture of the bag. I took one. It smells like black licorice. I took, I took two, but they were stuck together, so it wasn't oh, intentional. Oh, it smells like funky black licorice, though. <laughs> Not like the good black licorice, licorice we had last time. I'm a little apprehensive going into this now that I got that whiff. I don't like black licorice. Okay. Oh, it does really smell like... Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Ready. Mmm. Mmm. Strong. I think I kind of like black licorice now. Mm-mm. I used to hate it. I think this is really good. No. Uh, I don't know why. Why do I like it all of a sudden? Monster to no. Palate cleanse? Oh, the aftertaste is horrible. Yeah, I'm like of... really not happy with our taste tests lately. I'm always like shooting them down. I'm not a fan of black licorice. I mean, I, I don't hate one it. One is good, but. Yeah, I'm not going to eat that whole bag or anything. But that anything. aftertaste is horrible. I don't know. It's not bad. No. I mean, it's weird. You'd think, like, it's not like I started liking pickles after all of our pickle taste tests. But for some reason, it's growing on me. I'm giving it a one. My palate I just don't has like changed. It. I don't like it. I, I would say I would rather have another Dundersalt. Really? <laughs> you like, you prefer the Dundersalts? Yeah. The wow. initial, like, 30 seconds of it tasting, like... Anus <laughs> are better than the uh, black licorice. Dang. I'm giving it like a five. Wow. I'm I not going to like eat it three. intentionally. Oh, but I just don't. I can't. I'm not so like in barf you mode. You can keep those. Okay. I'm close to barf mode. I'm going. I'm close to barf mode. You didn't see this in the last video because I didn't have a. <laughs> what is that? What, what is that message? What message? Is it still flashing? Yeah. Okay. Something popped up on the screen. So now I'm really paranoid. No. Okay, are we testing something else? Yeah, this is just for Corey. Okay. Because you you're not going to want to do it, and I'm not going to want to do it. Okay. I'm flat out going to refuse to do it. All right, guys. It's been fun. See you. It's <laughs> <laughs> last time Corey's coming on. This is what Christmas is all about. <laughs> the the Rockaletta Four Layers Lollipop Chili with Gum Center. Wow. <laughs> so, okay. So this is going to be a long taste test. Yeah. All right. But I, I'm going to be reading my masquerade story first, so Corey can be working on that. I'm so paranoid so, about that not recording. Lollipop with chili powder and chewing gum center. <laughs> so, you and I would not do that. Well, I mean, if Corey weren't here, we'd have to eventually. Thank God Corey's here. Wow. 
Holy moly. Get a picture of that. Get a picture of the lollipop, the actual lollipop. It just looks spicy. Because <laughs> it's red. Yeah. Leave it there. See? There we go. <laughs> oh, the face. He's already making a Corey's face. <laughs> That's not good. So it, what did we just have those little things? Is it is it similar to that in flavor? This tastes like it's just like right now it tastes like it's coated in like cayenne pepper. Oh, really? <laughs> and it's it's huge. Does it have that tangy is hot it like, sauce? Does it have like that, that, no. that okay. tomato saucy or is it just hot? It's just hot. And it's but big, I don't get so. four layers. There's four layers of chili. I feel like we're watching one of those commercials. How many <laughs> licks does it take to get to the center of a tattoo? It has like a powder consistency on really? the outside. Like it, like somehow they're able to like they spray coated it. Yeah, <laughs> with cayenne. Wow, that sounds horrible. Mm. It's actually not that bad right now. Okay, but it's so big, right. to have in my mouth that it's basically you can't just leave it in there. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be talking like this. Yeah. Well, you can. I'll work on it. You can work on that while I am talking yeah. my masquerade. They'll just update us on how the flavor is changing. <laughs> that we'll first do. face he made. I'll just keep recording until this thing like runs out of battery. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready to delve into Let's one of my passions in life? Let's yes. delve. Armchair treasure hunts. And here's the thing, a secret about my fascination with armchair treasure hunts. It's not that I really love doing them because I kind of don't. I like the history behind them. I like the idea behind them. I like watching other people work on them. But I suck at codes. Like, I am not good with codes. Okay. And a lot of these involve, like, hardcore code solving. And I just don't. But I've always been more into the history and the idea, the concept behind an armchair treasure hunt than actually working on an hmm. armchair treasure hunt. And for listeners, a little uh, hint, stay tuned till the end. I know a lot of you shut it off after we stop talking about the topic, but we may have a little armchair treasure hunt for you guys to solve and possible prizes involved. So stay tuned to the end of the and episode. And by May, he means we definitely have that. So stick around. Yes, we do definitely have that. <laughs> this isn't like a mythological no. Christmas episode. So here we go with the story of armchair treasure hunts. We're going to talk about a couple of them in particular. And we got to start with the first one that is considered the granddaddy of armchair treasure hunts. For, for If you don't know, armchair treasure hunt is a book, a computer game, a website that it's like... A puzzle that you have to figure out. There is something that you have to figure out. It's, it could be an answer you send in. It could be something you go and dig up. It could be something you, an answer you find, a word you find. That is what an armchair treasure hunt is, is something you can do at home and work on trying to figure out where, what the solution is, and you usually get a reward. And is it generally like, okay, the you read a passage and it takes you here. And then at that location, you find the next. Clue. Some of them, some of them are uh, like I mentioned, like Beth, a scavenger. Hunt a couple almost? ones that I want, a couple things that I want to mention. First of all, is there is a website called mysterioushwritings.com that is run by a woman named Jenny Kyle, and it is a great resource for anybody that is into armchair treasure hunts. Mysteriouswritings.com, and if you look, yours truly is a guest writer on there. I have written several articles about armchair treasure hunts. 
So I am on there. Jenny does a great job. That's kind of like a good gathering place. She has a good forum. That's a good gathering place for people that are into armchair treasure hunts and are working on them. I do the armchair treasure hunt started first with you when you were younger, but I can see why you'd be interested in geocaching. Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of similar, different. Yeah. It's like kind of a similar version of that. You could have yeah. a real simple one, especially puzzle ones. Yep. Yeah, or you could have one that spans six or seven, and you go from point A to point B to point yep. C to point D. Yep. So it's very similar yep. to that. Uh, Has the sucker changed at all, Corey? No, nope, still the same. It's still okay. the same. And to Beth Hovanek, who is one of our listeners, a stranger, and she is the one that designed our T-shirts that we absolutely love, and she designs these, and she is so good at doing these. She has. I bought books like she's done pd like uh put together books of like she had one based on the secret and she does her artwork is amazing Mm -hmm. as you can tell by her shirts and everything so she does an amazing job with this i'm sure she's listening to this one so beth you are awesome thank you you are ineligible to win our (laughs) armchair treasure hunt because you're going to solve it no problem um so we're going to start with the one that is considered the granddaddy of armchair treasure hunts and to this day I feel like this was the best one. And that is the book Masquerade. A lot of people know this one. This is the one that led me down this rabbit hole is when we were kids, grandpa used to take Corey and I to the library and we'd stay there for like an hour, hour and a half. And then he'd pick us up again. And I was like obsessed with the section, the book section that has the puzzle books. Like I love, I love puzzles, riddles, And I came across this book a bunch of times, this book of art, and I took it out, looked at it, and thought it was really pretty, and put it back. And then finally, I looked at what it was about, and I just thought it was super fascinating. But by this time, it had been solved. So they had the original book at the library and the book that had the answer, the solution. So it was neat being able to see it at first and then see the solution. But this is Masquerade. In 1976, publisher Tom Maskler was at the little art gallery, The Portal, in London when he came across some paintings by a man named Kit Williams and was enraptured. Tom and the gallery's owner, Eric Lister, went to Kit Williams' house to run the idea past him of doing a children's book. According to an article on the Digital Antiquarian website called, quote, Kit Williams' Golden Hair Part 1, The Contest, the article says... For most of its duration, the lunchtime meeting conducted around William's kitchen table whilst munching on the homespun county fair he served up wasn't especially productive. Williams was polite, but was fundamentally uninterested in the idea of a children's book. He'd taken the meeting at all only as a favor to Lister. He was a painter, not a writer, he explained. Fair enough, came the reply from Tom Maskler. We can partner you with a writer. But no, that wasn't how Kit Williams worked. He worked alone on his art, doing absolutely everything himself. Knowingly or accidentally, Maskler finally said the words that would make the book a reality just as he and Lister were walking out the door. He said, quote, I still think you could do something that no one has ever done before. The parting shot was perfectly pitched to strike its target just where it counted. Kit Williams, who could come across upon first meeting like one of the timid creatures of the forest he so delighted in painting, wasn't quite what he seemed. His psyche harbored unexpected seams of stubbornness, pride, competitiveness, and even showmanship. Maskler's words sounded like a challenge, and a challenge was something he found impossible to resist. Out of the blue, some weeks later, long after Maskler had written off that meeting as a bust, Williams called his office to tell him he'd do the book after all. Just like that, Masquerade, soon to become the greatest mass treasure hunt of all time, begun. Okay, I see that Corey's broken through to a new color. Green. It went from red to green. Green chili? flavor change? Probably green chili. Okay. Good lord. 
That's just and they nasty. put gum in the middle of that? Yeah. I'm still doing a video recording here, Okay. <laughs> just so you know. Kit Williams later said, quote, If I was to spend two years on the 16 paintings for Masquerade, I wanted them to mean something. I recalled how, as a child, I had come across some so-called treasure hunts in which the puzzles were not exciting nor the treasures worth finding. So I decided to make a real treasure of gold, bury it in the ground, and paint real puzzles to lead people to it. Williams came up with the puzzle, created all of the paintings for the book, and then he himself crafted a figurine of a rabbit from 18 karat gold and jewels. He sealed the figurine inside a ceramic rabbit-shaped container that was inscribed with the words, quote, I am the keeper of the jewel of masquerade, which lies waiting safe inside me for you or eternity. The hair figurine was worth around 5,000 pounds or roughly $8,000 at the time. On August 7th, 1979, Williams and celebrity witness Bamber Gascion, Gascioni, who was a, a popular TV host. Okay. Kit Williams and celebrity witness Bamber Gascioni secretly buried the Hare's casket. Bamber was a popular TV host in England at the time. Williams then announced the book, saying that it contained all the clues necessary to figure out the treasure's precise location in England to within a few inches. He said that the Hare was buried on easily accessible public property, and that just to make sure people from all over the world could participate, he would confirm the first precisely correct answer sent to him by mail, and that person would win the prize without actually having to go to England to dig it up. In Bamber's book, he, after after this whole puzzle ordeal, drama, you're going to get another drama, after this was all done, uh, Bamber wrote a book about the search. And in his book, he said, quote, Kit had explained to me the basis of his puzzle, but even with that privileged information, I was unable to make it work out. The cause of my growing uneasiness was the thought that if it was in fact impossibly difficult, then I was the only person in the world in that position to form an opinion. Kit considered it very possible, even perhaps dangerously easy, because he himself had invented it. So he's already like, I don't know if this is solvable. So the book came out in August of 1979 and people went nuts. According to the Digital Antiquarian article, quote, if the naivete of publisher Jonathan Cape in not bothering to make sure that Masquerade's puzzle was viable is striking, equally so is their failure to plan for the thousands of mailed solutions that flooded their mailbox, especially after the announcement that treasure seekers could win without having to ever venture into England spade in hand. With no one at Jonathan Cape having the first idea about the solution to the puzzle, all the mail was packed up and shipped off to Kit Williams' cottage, hundreds of letters at a time. It's here that we come to the real nightmare of the thing for Williams, forced to go through the letters one by one, making sure that none contained the correct solution. He had no time left to do his paintings. He quickly noticed the difference between British and American treasure hunters, a difference into which you can read whatever cultural implications you want. British puzzlers tended to send in detailed, carefully worked through solutions, albeit breathtakingly wrong ones, <laughs> sometimes running to more words and pages than masquerade itself. Americans, meanwhile, just guessed, throwing every British landmark they could think of at the wall in the hopes that one would stick. When that failed, there were always abstractions like love, life, and peace to be tried, which rather left one wondering whether these answerers had even understood the question. Think about the time, though. Yeah. The British people would have had access to the information about the locations. We didn't have the internet. It's not like Americans no. could go Google no. it. And they we're going to kind of get into the internet stuff when it comes to these in a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but basically, it was crazy. According to an August 6, 2018 article on Anglotopia.net called, quote, 
the hair-raising tale of Kit Williams' Masquerade, the article says, Masquerade was finally published in 1979, and it was a smashing success, spurred on by a massive publicity campaign with a first run of 60,000 copies that sold out almost immediately, and it ended up becoming the best-selling book in Britain that year. Indeed, it sold exceptionally well in many countries, including America, and even wound up being remarkably popular in Japan, especially remarkable considering that the big puzzle hinges on linguistic quirks of the English language that simply cannot translate into Japanese because the Japanese and English languages work in such different ways. An American airline offered, quote, masquerade tours to prospectors and offered them a commemorative shovel to aid them in their hunt. Rod Argent of the band The Zombies even filled the Young Vic Theater in London with a musical based on the book. One woman in the States and Wyoming went so far as to systematically send Kit William letters containing every combination of longitude and latitude in Britain in the hopes that one of them was the correct one. Apparently, she sent so many of these letters to him that even if she got the right answer, which she didn't, and Kit could translate that location into longitude and latitude, he couldn't, that the whole enterprise could still have been a financial loss for her because the postage on all of those letters had added up to more than the hair was even worth. Oh, my gosh. Uh but it's a gorgeous book. I don't have it, so I didn't bring it, but it, the artwork in there is just gorgeous. It really is. The book is a story of a hare named Jack Hare who seeks to carry a treasure from the moon, depicted as a woman, to her love object, the sun, depicted as a man. Upon reaching the sun, Jack finds that he had lost the treasure and the reader is left to discover its location. On the title page is a poem that reads, quote, to solve the hidden riddle, you must use your eyes and find the hair in every picture that may point you to the prize. And that little poem turned out to be more important than people realized. The paintings in the book all feature a few things. Each one has words going around the border of the pages, creating a sentence or a verse going around the painting, and each painting has a rabbit hidden somewhere in the image. People quickly figured out some things, like the fact that some of the letters and the words going around the pages were red or had thorns on them. These letters created specific words, but these words ended up actually having nothing to do with the solution. One of the paintings... Sort of like misinformation yeah. or misdirection. One of the paintings in the book features Isaac Newton holding up puppets of a boy, a girl, and several other animals. The girl has strings going through her hands, and she is holding her hands up to her eyes. The boy has strings going through his toes, and the animals in the painting all have strings going through their eyes. This painting, along with a poem at the beginning of the book, basically tells you what to do. Eyes are the pointers for the solution. In every painting, you had to find all the humans or animals in the image, draw a straight line from their eyes through the longest point on each of their hands or feet or paws, and those lines would extend through one of the letters in the words that surrounded mm. the painting. Wow. Yeah. And when you did when you did that on all 16 paintings, each painting gave you a different word. The words were Catherine's, long finger, over, shadows, earth, buried, yellow, amulet, midday, points, the, hour, in, light of equinox, look you. <laughs> and the beginning letters of all of those words form the sentence close by Ant Hill. Okay. Wow. In Amptill, England, is a monument for Catherine of Aragon, who was the first wife of Henry VIII. These words tell you to go to that monument in March on the day of the spring equinox, and at exactly noon, the spot where the very tip of the shadow of the monument falls is where the treasure was buried. And one thing that this 
puzzle is great for is it had confirmers. Confirmers are little things that kind of tell you you're going the okay. right way mm-hmm. or that you can use to double check yeah, what, that your solution you is, is, is a possible one. Mm-hmm. Those are the best armchair treasure hunts because and otherwise you could be completely going down the wrong way. The second, one I'm gonna, the second one I'm going to touch on, Treasure in Search of the Golden Horse, yep. that was one of the faults of that one. Yep. Okay, I see you've reached another color on your sucker. <laughs> uh, it's red, then it went green, and now it's going pinkish. Okay. I don't know. I think it's red chili. Okay. Green, green. chili. And then I'm assuming some kind of more spicy. How many layers are there? Four. Oh, so the gum is... The fourth layer. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking maybe the outside was cayenne pepper. Okay. Then green chili and then maybe red chili. Okay. And then I don't know what the inside is going to be. Jalapeno? Oh. I don't know. Okay. This Stay is tuned. the Isaac Newton picture I talked about. Oh, wow. But it, it, like the pictures cool. are gorgeous. Yeah. But you can see how like it has cool. words all around. Yeah. And you have to draw huh. lines from the eyes of the creatures or humans through their longest finger or longest paw. Okay. And those go into the letters outside. So it was I people. I saw people complain about it, but I actually think that was a brilliant really way clever. to. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think it was You're super clever. Pointing to yeah, it. it's yeah, and that's why he says, uh, "Use your eyes to find the hair in every picture that might point mm. you to the prize," and that's telling you kind of exactly what to do. It is. So in March 1982, Kit Williams received a sketch by someone named Ken Thomas, and it was the first sort of correct solution mailed to him. Williams immediately called this, quote, Ken Thomas and instructed him to dig for the hair. There was something immediately off about the whole thing because when Kit told the guy he had basically solved it and he just needed to go dig it up, the guy was super crabby and said he had a cold and didn't expect him to go out in the rain and all this stuff. And Kit Williams was like, huh? (laughs) Kit Williams began to think that he sort of lucked into the find because he didn't know a lot of the puzzles in the book. Shortly after Ken Thomas was formally awarded the prize, Williams received an exact correct solution sent in by two physics teachers, Mike Barker and John Rousseau, who finally figured it out with the help from a clue that Kit Williams had published in a London newspaper. The illustration, which first appeared in the Sunday Times on December 21, 1980, was reproduced in the paperback edition of Masquerade, but its solution was not included. It has been mentioned, however, that Mike Barker and John Rousseau, the men who actually solved the riddle but did not win, as their solution was received just a little too late, also solved this clue, and it was a confirmer for them. And the clue was actually pretty brilliant. Um, I'll show you what it looked like. That's what it looked like in the newspaper. It, it's it's like a drawing of Kit Williams surrounded by animals. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that if you take the animals, take the first letter of all the names of the animals going around him, it spells out Merry Christmas. Uh. <laughs> and uh, it's just him holding up a sheet that has a bunch of lines and squiggles on it that look like they make no sense. So Barker and Rousseau, the men who solved it, figured out that what they needed to do was cut that out, fold it over in half, and then look through the picture at a light. And those letters and squiggles, when you folded it in half, formed formed words. words. And the words spelled out the phrase, To do my work, I appointed four men from 20, the tallest and the fattest and the righteous following the sinister. So that's talking about the sinister is left, righteous is right, and the tallest and fattest are like your longest fingers. So that's basically the clue that what you're supposed to do is use your use the toes or the hands the, the and what order you're supposed to use them in. Hmm. Barker and Rousseau had actually unearthed the prize themselves when they dug at Amtil, but had not noticed the small clay container in the dirt they had piled up. Ken Thomas had been looking around the area and found it in the dirt piles they left behind. 
So why had Ken Thomas been searching around that area? After running an investigation, six years later on December 11, 1988, the Sunday Times printed a story revealing that winner Ken Thomas was actually someone named Dougald Thompson. Thompson's business partner, John Gard, was the boyfriend of a woman named Veronica Robertson, who was a former girlfriend of Kit Williams. While dating Williams, Robertson heard enough to figure out roughly where the hair was buried. Gard, who was now dating Robertson, convinced her to help him win the hair by telling her that they would sell it and give the money to animal rights charities, which was a cause that she was passionate about. <laughs> so she was dating Kit Williams when he created this puzzle. She got enough knowledge about where it was and was dating this other guy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Here's where the drama comes in. Yeah. So the, that group of them went to the monument with a metal detector, but because it was buried in a clay case, they couldn't find it. So instead, they sent a rough sketch of the area to Kit Williams, and that's the, the sketch that he got that he said somebody basically found it. Upon learning this, Kit Williams said, quote, This tarnishes masquerade, and I'm shocked by what has emerged. I feel a deep sense of responsibility to all those many people who were genuinely looking for it. Although I didn't know it, it was a skeleton in my closet, and I'm relieved that it has come out. So Thompson, even though he was super sketchy about it, ended up winning the thing, winning the golden hair. Thompson eventually founded a software company called Hairsoft and offered the jewel as a prize in a new contest which took the form of a computer game called Hair Razor. The company and its game, which many people believed to be unsolvable with only meaningless text and graphics, were unsuccessful, yielding no winner. When the company went into liquidation in 1988, the hair was sold at auction. And that game sucks. There's videos of people on YouTube just like ripping on. They show you what the game looks like, and it's just horrible. People have gone through the code and said there's nothing in there that looks like a confirming thing that you won. I remember reading that somebody said they thought they found a phone number in there that you were maybe supposed to call. But the guy was just trying to make money off of this thing. Did they say how much it was auctioned for? Um... No, I don't have that written down. Because it was worth what, like eight thousand? I imagine it would have auctioned. (laughs) It would have auctioned off for much more than that. Yeah. No, I don't know what it was auctioned for. Um, Sorry, we had a a little mechanical error. In 2009, Kit Williams expressed the desire to see the hair again. Hearing this, the granddaughter of its current owner, an anonymous purchaser based in the Far East, arranged for Kit Williams to be reunited briefly with his work. This was featured in a television documentary called The Man Behind the Masquerade, which aired on the BBC in December of 2009. So there's a cool video. Kit Williams is odd we're looking he's his eyes go out in different directions okay and people say that that's one of the reasons he's able to paint so well oh. is that his eyes like he's he's a weird looking dude okay uh so yeah it's and that's kind of where it ended is he was finally kind of reunited with with the golden hair but the person that that bought it at auction has it again hmm. so it was just kind of a mess the way it ended that the person that won it ended up getting help from his kid williams ex-girlfriend so that was kind of a disaster yeah, and people it feel like a legitimate win then you know what i mean yeah uh england was just torn up with people looking for this thing people mm-hmm. were digging you know people recognized some stuff from some of the paintings these landmarks and people went there and dug stuff up and it was nuts like how popular this thing was and like i said to this day i think that is the most thought out well done armchair treasure hunt Somebody named Stephen Hergest, I'm not sure who that is, says, quote, 
I strongly doubt that treasure hunts like Masquerade could be done today as the internet facilitates discussion and collusion much more efficiently than it did 35 years ago. The two-year hunt for the hair could be reduced to weeks, perhaps even days, but the Masquerade puzzle endures. I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll get into it with yeah. the secret we'll, we'll, later. We'll get into it with some other stuff. But, I mean, the internet is both a, a help and a hindrance. Yes. You have people <laughs> it that... Totally, totally is. Yeah, it 100% true. is. So that's Masquerade. That is considered the granddaddy, the most well done. Like, I would love to go to the site uh, in Amtel where it was. So the second one that I want to get into is my is my personal favorite even though it's a hot mess. It's my personal favorite. It is Treasure in Search of the Golden Horse. Okay. You can look through that if you want. I remember looking at that. I remember looking at that. I must have been in, in high school or junior yeah. high school and at the like time. Me being four years younger than you, I just that wasn't my cup of tea. But the thing then. is, these, picture, these, these books are gorgeous. Like yeah. The artwork in there is so pretty. What's funny is I look at these and they all remind me of Salvador Dali paintings because they kind were of. all really like, weird like, and abstract yeah, like abstractish. And like had strange references yep. to like pomegranates and like <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> weird stuff that was very symbolic. So this one is my favorite and it's I wrote really a, cool my first article on mysterious writings. I wrote about this treasure hunt because this is my favorite. I love looking. I still page through this book constantly. Like I love this book. So Treasure in Search of the Golden Horse was a treasure hunting puzzle published in 1984 by the Intravision Production Company. It was conceived as a story-based contest by filmmaker Sheldon Renan after he saw the success of Kit Williams' Masquerade. The book was written by Sheldon Renan, illustrated by artist Jean-Francois Potevin, and the puzzle was created by, quote, Dr. Krypton, which turned out to be the pseudonym of someone named Paul Hoffman. There was also a Laserdisc movie and a television show that aired on pay cable channels. And while every form of the puzzle was different, they were all seen essentially as different paths that would lead to the very same spot where a golden horse was buried somewhere in the earth in the continental United States. You may have to explain Laserdisc. Yeah, laser, I'm, I don't <laughs> ever remember right. Laserdisc. The first person to dig up the horse would win both the golden horse and $500,000, but if nobody found it by May 26, 1989, the horse was to be dug up by the book's creators and the money would be given to a charity of their choosing. The horse was said to be buried somewhere in the continental United States in a place that is accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For the next several years, thousands of people around the country spent countless hours searching through the illustrations of the book for clues, and many many people spent thousands of dollars or even their life savings traveling around the country to locations like Crater Lake, Oregon, or New Orleans to follow up on their hunches. And people, like if you were obsessed with this, you were obsessed with this. I remember, I want to say I was maybe 10th grade. But I remember laying on my bed at home, just like going through this, jotting down notes and all this stuff. And a couple things in there I did figure out. I mean, a couple things I figured out. But um, time passed and May 26, 1989 arrived with the horse still in the ground undiscovered. The creators of the book went to the location, dug the horse up, and awarded the $500,000 to the charity Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is a great charity to it give is. it to. Yep. You know? My mom used to be on the board for that. Really? They do good stuff. They do. People who spent the last several years studying the book or spending their life savings to travel around the country were super excited to hear the solution and to find out how close they were to finding the treasure or to hear how to solve the puzzle, but there was nothing. The book's creators were finally approached and asked when they would reveal the solution, and they just said they're not going to reveal it. They said they never said they were going to reveal the solution because they said they wanted to use it again in mm -hmm. a second book. And people were 
pissed. <laughs> like people that followed this for years were pissed. You can you can still find like news articles where people are just like irate that they were not going to be given a solution to the book. They right, fe- especially if the horse isn't there anymore. Yeah. They felt that after spending time and money on the book, they deserved to know the solution. And several people started to ask if a treasure was actually even hidden in the first place. Several people who spent their life savings on the treasure hunt banded together and started looking into possible lawsuits and legal action against Intravision. And the people who had loved the book now started to turn against it and its creators. A few months later, with talk of a lawsuit ramping up, former FBI investigator Nick Boone and lawyer Tony Castaneda came forward and said that they had finally solved the book's puzzle and traveled to the location where the horse had been buried. They dug in the location and found a vial holding a message that it had been the hiding place of the golden horse. They released their solution to the puzzle, known as the Captain Nemo solution, Mm. and finally revealed the location that everyone had been looking for for the past five years. The horse had been buried near a misshapen tree in the woods near the 10th Mountain Division Memorial near Tennessee Pass in Colorado, high up in the Rocky Mountains. The overall puzzle of the book, as revealed in the Captain Nemo solution, required readers to decipher several words from the book using several different kinds of ciphers and then to run that string of words through a matrix to reveal the final phrase, quote, try route two dozen, which, when coupled with other clues from the book, would lead to Tennessee Pass, Colorado, and to the memorial stone, which was to be used as its starting point. As people looked into the Captain Nemo solution, though, they began to question its legitimacy. Several of the codes used in the book didn't seem to correspond correctly with the Captain Nemo solution, and several important parts of the Captain Nemo solution seemed to require leaps of logic that made absolutely no sense. The more people looked into the possible solution, the more it seemed to fall apart, and the general consensus started to be that the creators of the contest, wanting to avoid any legal action, secretly gave a solution to Boone and Castaneda that they could publicly announce. Mm. And to this day, I'm convinced that that's what happened. Okay. I'm going to post it in the group, but there is online, there's a, uh, on YouTube, there's a segment from the old Inside Edition where it talks with them and, and they take like the host guy with a magnificent mullet. They take him to where the horse was buried. You know, it's funny. I'm realizing there's a connection to the last episode we just recorded because like the whole Da Vinci Code thing. Yeah. yeah. That was all like yeah. a codex yeah. with a cipher. Yep. And, yeah. Like, and that's, that's how these It's basically these are. a treasure yep. hunt. Yep. So with the release of the Captain Nemo solution, people began to see how the puzzle worked and felt that the puzzle was basically unsolvable. Uh, I ran all these code words that they gave and everything through that matrix, and it does come up with try route two dozen. So that is the actual solution, but a lot of rumors came out during it that they had moved the horse at one point because too many people knew where it was. Mm. But I totally believe it was where they said it was on on Tennessee Pass, on the Rocky Mountains, by that misshapen tree. The way to find your way there was basically impossible. Uh, Where masquerade could be solved by anyone who figured out the method, the solution to treasure required finding difficult ciphers with no confirmation that the reader was on the right track. And then running the text through something called, I don't know if it's a veneer, I think it's a veneer matrix to discover the correct phrase. And where does this matrix come from? It's a code-breaking thing. It's a specific type of code. Okay. Where... You have the letters of the alphabet all going up and down in rows and columns, and then you have a letter of the alphabet up on top and on the side, and you use a specific word 
to go to that column and okay. stuff. It's hard. It's very difficult. There's websites that you can just plug in stuff and it'll tell you now. So these days, a Venier matrix cipher can be easily solved on the internet, with that, which has sites devoted to ciphers. But back in the pre-internet days of the contest, only a handful of people would have had any idea what a Venier matrix even was. The majority of people who poured their time and money into the contest came away feeling angry and cheated. In the end, rather than being a worthy successor to Masquerade, this gorgeous and well-written book ended up giving armchair treasure hunts a black eye that it never recovered from. And that's true. People were so annoyed by this book that armchair Mm -hmm. treasure hunts kind of, which could have been a huge thing because of Masquerade, this kind of put the kibosh on that. Okay. But still, I love this book. I think this is just a gorgeous book, and I just think the puzzle was so flawed. Mm, and I think right. that was the problem. I talk about that a lot in my article on MysteriousWritings.com. Well, it's like we talked about, too. If you don't have confirmers to go along the way, you could be going down a completely wrong path yeah. your entire time. Yeah. And then when it's just poorly put together, yeah. it doesn't make it See, any like easier. Masquerade had a picture on there where the girl called, I can't remember her name, Penny Pockets. And she had all these pockets on her thing that were all different colors. And then the Isaac Newton picture had a paper taped or thumbtack to the wall that had all random letters, but they were colors. And if you corresponded the colors with the letters and then got these, these, uh, this other part, right, you would see that they kind of matched up. So it was kind of a confirmer and we didn't have that in, unless we don't know about it, but I don't remember any confirmers being like that. And the codes in there were hard. One of the, one of the ciphers was a, a Mary queen of Scots cipher that she used when she was a prisoner on an Island. But when you look at the symbols in the book and her actual code, they're nothing alike. Mm. So it's just like it's it's flawed in a lot of ways. And there's been a there's been a several armchair treasure hunts since then that kind of still remain unsolved. There's one that I love called the Golden Apple Tale. Uh, the Golden Apple Tale was published in 1982 by someone named Cam Caskin, C A M K A S K G N, which is obviously a cipher yeah. a code. Uh, and it was published via Fantasy Press. Uh, Fantasy Press might be an appropriate name for a publishing company that may never have existed. That's <laughs> the right. first sign. That's the first sign that this little gem is going to be interesting. You can find a PDF of the book online, and I love this one. I'm still constantly reading. Uh, there's a couple websites dedicated to armchair treasure hunts. There's Jenny's uh, Mysterious Writings. There's twelve T. T-W-E-L-E-V-E. It's misspelled on purpose. And then there's Quest for Treasure, which is based in London, that have sections about this, that people are still working on these. I still work on this one a lot. Uh, The book is out of print, but you can find a black and white PDF here. And maybe I'll put a link to that PDF when I post this episode. The book calls Cam Caskin a mathematician turned philosopher. And people theorize... I don't know if I buy it, but I kind of do that someone that was heavily involved with the Macintosh computer named Jeff Raskin was actually Cam Caskin because Jeff Raskin had a degree in mathematics and later got a degree in philosophy. And he had a couple sons whose names all start with A's, which is also in the book. Hmm. Um, the, another page in the book also provides us that it was illustrated by a woman named Karen Wagner. And I've contacted her on Facebook and never got a reply back from her, but she was the person that illustrated this. Hmm. It's like all of this that work on this want to know if this is still around. Yeah. Um, it looks like a, a cheaply done, and it, it's, it was based out of like the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. So for all any of us know, this was a, something that this guy did for his friends, and they went out and found this thing, and now people are like combing through this book 
trying to figure out if this golden apple actually exists. Hmm. So it's a fascinating one, but we're not going to really get too much into that because it's, you know... It could be a dead end. People we have people have tons of stuff figured out from the book. You know, we figured out that something decodes to the phrase place and order, something else decodes to pine trees. There's this poem that runs through the book that we think is what has to be placed in order and uh, something about Cassiopeia, the constellation. So we have a lot of stuff figured out, but that's as far as everybody got. We don't know what to do with it. Um, I'm currently in love with this one called The Whistle Pig. It is a book, The Whistle Pig, by Duck Miller, who we actually know who it really is. That's not his real name, but... Yeah, you uh, gave it to me, and I looked at it. And... Yeah, it's but it's a great book. It's a book of, I think, 12 short stories. Mm-hmm. And the short stories all allude to something. And once you figure out what those stories all allude to... Like they have a common theme? Like there's, like Yeah, like there's a story in here called... The only one that everybody is 100% certain we know what it's about. There's a story in here called Winterland. And it's like a two, two and a half page short story about a guy that's in a driving a van cross country from New York to uh, California. And there's a girl in the back. It's a day after New Year's Eve and she's like sleeping it off. And based on stuff said in there, this is the only one that everybody is certain that we know that what this story refers to is the debut of the Grateful Dead song, It Must Have Been the Roses, hmm. at the Winterland Arena. Ah, okay. And it has a specific date because it is the day they debuted that song. But that's the only one that people know. Hmm. So we're assuming that all of these are going to have an allusion to something where we get a specific date. Mm-hmm. There's one called Grandfather's Office that me and a couple other people are convinced is about Ernest Hemingway because there's a calendar in there that kind of has some markings on it, and it kind of refers to when Ernest Hemingway won a Pulitzer Prize, I believe. And those are all different dates? The dates of the Pulitzer Prize winning and the dates of the... Yeah, they're all different dates. So people are thinking if you... It's something to do with... Like, people are stuck on this one. It's it's difficult. Uh, The first one has something to do with horse racing because there's a like a main scene in there where this guy and this girl he likes, she comes out of the bathroom the same time he does, and it's talking about them weaving their... making their way through this party and it, it's it's all kind of like in horse racing terms like you know le- winning by a, yeah like going around yeah so yeah. we know that's something to do and so there's no the, artwork no okay the, they don't the, all have the artwork. actual guy who wrote this we know who it is and he's fascinated with horse racing so we know the first one has something to do with horse racing there's maps on the inside and and back and nobody knows he, he, there's an actual physical key hidden somewhere in the continental united states it's mm-hmm. been there since i think 1990 but nobody knows if it's worth money. Nobody knows anything about this. But there's a lot of us that are really working on this, trying to come up with stuff. Like the last story in there has a... If you take the first letter of every sentence in the last story, it spells out a phrase that's... It's something like, bear the cross, leave the center, find the fruit. And people thought that referred to the Mellon Arena in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. And so we don't know. I mean, this is one that everybody is still currently working on, but well, everybody does There's a doesn't. map close-up of Pennsylvania. It has, it's a close-up. And right here on the, one of the front pages, it's circled where Puck Stowani is because the whistle pig is actually a groundhog. Oh. 
But we've noticed that like the Grateful Dead concert one takes place in February. So people are wondering if all these things take place in February. So this is something that people like mm. me are still, I still read this almost every night when I crawl into bed just to see if I can glean something from it. Something will spark a... Yeah. So they're still mm. being made. This one, Whistle Pig is still unsolved. One that is solved that Corey and I will talk about because Corey and I were doing this one when it was around and this one I we loved. Like I thought this one was amazing. It was one called Perplex City. Corey so, will jump in here. Uh, Perplex City was a long-term alternate reality game presented by the company Mind Candy. They were based in London. Uh, they basically had one whole season and then the second season got cut short. Okay, before, did you know... The guy that start that did this, the the guy that the president of Mind Candy, the guy who did this, do you know what else he did? Mm-mm. He was the guy that did Zombies Run, that game that I used oh, to be obsessed with, my really? running game on my phone. Yeah, oh, really? yeah, it's the same I've guy. Even it's, seen that. Yeah, okay. it's the oh. same guy. So the the first season of the game, the players are looking for what they refer to as the cube. It was actually called the Rosetta Cube. Um, it was a priceless scientific and spiritual artifact known to the fictional metropolis of Perplex City that had been stolen and buried somewhere on Earth. The game offered a real-life $130,000 reward to whoever found it. And again, it was uh, buried. It was buried in England. That's all everybody knew is that this was buried in England. And like most alternate reality games, it was told through blogs on their website, puzzles, and other various media. This one was super interactive, though. Like, there was something in Los Angeles, like a party for it, where... Somebody from the company across on like a different building was like sending messages like strobe light, like Morse code, and people figured out what the Morse code. So this was almost more of a, this was almost like an interactive game. Yeah, but they is... had this crazy back, like this huge backstory about the people from Perplex City. Yeah. And the thing that's nice about it is that it's not book based. No. It's based on cards that are basically like postcard size. Yeah. And. You which you guys are holding. Which we both, are, we both still have. You solve them. On the very top is a scratch-off like you'd have for a lottery ticket. You put that unique code into your website. You sign up, and it you get points. collates your points. And then as you solve these things, on the back of some cards, there are hints to help you along the way. You can also find some of the hints, like I said, in the blogs on their website. So you never really knew what was leading you the right way or possibly it no. was leading you astray but there are about a 250 cards yeah and uh and some are just simply fun to solve and some actually they, deal with they rated in difficulty some were like fun and super easy and some were <laughs> some are still not solved to this day yep but they, they, like if you want to look at some of these uh, the game began in april of 2005 and was eventually won by andy darley of middlesex in the united kingdom who found the cube in a wooded area in Northamptonshire, UK, on the 2nd of February, 2007. Yep. So they sold foil packs of puzzle cards to fund the game. Each card featured a different puzzle, and, all the car- and although the cards provided additional lore in the story, it was possible to participate in the alternate reality game without purchasing them. According to Mind Candy, the first wave of cards for the new season were released on March 1st, 2007, and in June 2007, they announced that the second season would be on indefinite hold. Yeah, it sucked because you and I were super amped up for the second season. Yep. So each pack contained six random cards from a total of 256. The cards were divided into sets and subsets of varying rarity and difficulty. 
So you can see here there are two, I'll show Krista. There are a silver, which is the hardest. Basically, that's the card you get. And you have to look at it and try to figure out just what the heck you're supposed to do with that. Yeah, uh -huh, I mean, that's hard. Uh -huh. And like, then the front is the actual, like, what So do which you is do? the front and which is the The front is the, is the one the with front? the, yeah. Okay. Wow. The back is part of a map of Perplex City itself. And does it relate to the front? No, but you put those all together from the cards. Oh. I think this was a brilliant way to, yeah. to market this one. Blue card, which obviously is easier. You can just basically plug those into the internet. Basically, it's names of animals in different languages. So okay. you would oh. just, you would input that answer into the website, scratch the top off, and that would be your unique code okay. matched to you. And then you'd get points. And as you got hit certain point levels, they would send you something in the mail. Like I still have pins at yep. home that oh, I got. That's cool. But this was one of my favorite cards. Uh, its little story is that there were three urns. And one of the urns had chocolate. One of the urns had cinnamon, and one of the, and the other urn had vanilla. And you had to figure out what what was in which one. So people were like using this background image to try to figure out. Mm. And then then once you touch it, you realize they're scratch and sniff. So you scratch and sniff <laughs> to figure out which it's one. There's ones. Than you're thinking there are it. ones that had invisible ink yeah, stuff I'll get to on that. okay yeah, I'll get to that. but yeah these were these are just like done so well like Kurt Corey, just got curted by the way yeah Corey, <laughs> Corey and i were just like man i remember you and i driving up to green bay just to go to gamestop and buy these by the oh, yeah, box I would buy you buy, by the, the by the case i bought a case once wow. like Corey and i were like hardcore into this so i mean unlike other collectible card games like magic or pokemon you don't actually like do combat Instead, each card depicts a different puzzle with the rarer cards also featuring more complex riddles. Cards were marked with unique identifiers. Those are the codes up on top, which can then be entered into the Perplex City website, earning points and a place on a leaderboard. Hmm. So you could see where you were stacked against people that were doing this. It was such a, it was done so well. Yep. Many cards contain hidden features such as ultraviolet or heat sensitive inks, and they covered a broad range of themes from pop culture to cryptography and logical brain teasers. Uh, if you solved cards in a set, you gained extra points. So if you were able to solve all the blue, I don't remember exactly how many extra points you got. I don't remember, but it was, it was quite a lot. Yeah. But if you solved like, all those in a set, you're doing good. So the two most, I guess, infamous cards, one is called Ryman. It's a season one card. It's number 238. It actually asks players to prove the Ryman hypothesis, which is basically a I think it's a mathematical. It is, but it's, it's like basically unsolvable. Yeah, it's like an unsolvable oh. mathematical <laughs> equation. They, I, I read that they wanted to put that out just to see if anybody could actually solve, solve it. it. <laughs> and it's Grasping currently it's the only remaining unsolved card. Hmm. So the second up until most, up until recently, yeah, because this other was card, two that were this other card was the one that is infamous for us. The second one is called Billion to One. It's also a season one card, number two fifty six. Obviously, two fifty six is the very most difficult card. It was the last one. It just features the face of a man with a caption in Japanese that says, find me. It translates to find me. So basically with the title saying billion to one, it's a guy who's obviously probably in Japan. Like an actual like, person. Yeah, like actual an actual. Person. All I'm you sure. have is a picture of Neither this of us have that card. So unless you know this person, you're never going to Basically, out who or you just, I mean, there were people that would just travel to, to Japan Walk around looking and at walk people. like Tokyo and walk around looking for this guy. Like wow. show Here, the card I'll show to you, people. I'll show you what the. This is what the. I should run it through facial recognition program. <laughs> that's 
that's how they yeah. found him. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> uh, a hint line for the game gave the further clue that my name is Satoshi. This is the card. This is what the card looked like. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's an Asian guy. Dude. And actually a dude. Okay. People right away figured out where the area was and there were people and people from the United States that were hardcore into this flew there to wow. that city and like had, took their picture in that same like exact Scandinavian city. Yeah. Yeah. Took that same exact picture in that spot. Hmm. Like people were like into this. Yeah, his image was spread via social networking sites and attempts to locate and make contact with him. If you made contact with him and asked if this was him, he was supposed to give you a, a password. A, a, it was a statement, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It was like something about burning from the ashes. And the answer you were supposed to give was Izanami. Is, is it's a Japanese rebirth creature, like a mytho- mythological creature. And, and that's and then, what you would type into the website to get in. the points for finding that card. Okay. So basically, it was an experiment in exploring the con- concept of six degrees of separation. Hmm. The card was actually solved in December of 2020 when the man in question was found by Tom May Sager and reported to Laura E. Hall, who ran the website, yeah, Laura, Laura, Laura was one of like the big people with this. Yep. I remember talking with her a couple times. Yeah. In an email, Satoshi explained that the original concept had been for him to ask a question of whoever found him. Since he had forgotten the question, the puzzle author, Jay Bidolf, posted a recording of the spoken question on SoundCloud. It was, who died after giving birth to flames? With the answer being, Izanami. So those two cards are no longer in circulation. And, uh, so not only did you need to find this guy, you needed to answer the question that he gave you. Yep. Mm. But that's how they found him was there's a really good, uh, uh, it's like a newer search engine you can use pictures with. Because we used that last year during the trivia contest to solve one of the like the hardest trivia image, which ended up being a picture of some guy, a chef that was on a little known children's TV show in, like in Cleveland in the 70s. And there was one picture of him online in the background, and this search engine found that picture. Yeah, I mean, there was no issue with the person that, that solved it. They dug up the cube. It was legit. The second season, we weren't really sure what they were going to do, if they were going to re- rebury another cube. And what I they... had heard was that they were going to do one in England and one in the United States. Yeah. And then halfway through, they shut down the game, and they transferred all their employees to like a pokemon style yeah, game, like which a, ended up doing fairly well yeah for the company but i think they just realized that it cost them more to do this yeah. than they were making do you guys feel like things like hunt a killer are like the new version of armchair treasure Hunts? yeah i think yeah. so uh i'd love to try that by the way the, the, the one so that fun. the one andy darley i actually wrote back and forth with him several times mm-hmm. and he was just a super nice guy what i have down for him is the morning of February 2nd, 2007, almost two years from the start of the contest, player Andy Darley used photos found on a hidden in-game website and cleverly encoded directions written on a poem on the puzzle card end of the line to weave through the walking paths at Wakerly Great Woods, Northamptonshire, where he dug up the cube. He was supposed to bring the cube right to Mine Candy headquarters, but he had a day or two before he could do it. And what I think he did that's awesome is that he took the cube to Amptail and got a picture of the cube in the same spot where Kit Williams' hair was buried mm-hmm. at, from Masquerade. Mm. Uh, it was kind of a shout-out to the original armchair treasure hunt. Yeah. And after he brought the cube to Mind Candy, the creators of the game threw a huge party at a local pub. And I remember, like, Laura, I remember people from the United States, like, all flying to England to go to this huge party. 
And uh, like a lot of them, like Laura, I think a lot of them had their picture taken with the cube, which I think is so cool. I love the way that they did that. So yeah, I mean, I like the fact that it wasn't book based. You know, it was all cards that you didn't really need to solve, but it gave you something to do. And they were fun. The puzzles yeah. were fun. Like the the cards are fun to work on, yeah, except for the really hard ones. You yeah, know, like I mean, it has you... this little name the objects where you have to figure out what the objects are in the picture, and the cards, as you can see, are just like really really good quality mm -hmm. so yeah it's just one of those cool things that's not book based and i mean we had a blast with it i don't know where it would have went <laughs> i remember you and after that you and toddy working on these at work all the time when yeah. you're at, at your job you basically you'd, we'd be you'd on bring, a conference call we'd be working on the same card working on, the, what do you on the puzzles together at work yeah. so That'd it be was a fun just thing to do with your students yeah huh that'd be a fun thing to do with it, your students. it would be actually because some of them are like easy enough for the students to solve i still have a stack at home like that oh the I, cards. I never get rid of mine no i'm never getting rid of mine either because i love these cards and i had a blast with this and it sucks that it didn't kind of work out for them mm -hmm. but this one i think was done so well and i love that people work together really well i have something written about that where it said as time went on players followed the story and figured out the hidden clues on the cards and the location of the hidden cube began to be narrowed down it was an awesome display of teamwork. What appeared to be random squiggles on some of the cards were identified as being Jurassic-era landforms, leading players to the 88-mile-long Jurassic Way footpath. More clues were decoded, leading the players to the Fine Shade Wood area of Northamptonshire, after which all communication between players and teams kind of went dead because then everybody knew where it was. So yeah. then I remember reading accounts of people like going out there and all you could see were like flashlights from groups <laughs> of people that were out in this woods at night trying sure. to find where yeah. this thing was buried. And like the website had a message board and then you would be broken up into the blue cards, the green cards, mm -hmm. you know, all the way down to the silver and people would put card 10. And then you'd have this sub subset discussion of everything about car 10. Yeah. Basically, once it got solved, they put like a check mark in the box or something. Yeah. So you could skip those. So people were working on these yeah. together. And some so of these things went pages deep, like yeah. 20 pages deep. Because some of these are hard. Yeah. Some of these are like super hard. But like you said, that some of them, there was that one where you get the answer if you hold your finger on there because it's heat. heat yep. It reacts to heat. There's one. There's a micro dot that you need like a magnifying uh, microscope to yep. read what's written on the micro dot. So it's wow. crazy how much work went into this. Yeah. So yeah, that was one that Corey and I just absolutely loved was Perplexity. See, here's one. It's green 108. You can kind of tell that there's writing. And you know it starts at the bottom and it kind of works oh, its yeah, way out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have it's to kind of hold it a yep. certain you way. You got to tilt it that way and then see what it says. Yeah, yep. And then I... you just type that into the answer spot in the website and you got credit for those many points. And hmm. Said sometimes they would help it's you, really sometimes clever. they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And no. uh, right now, like the big thing is a lot of people are independently, like Beth. Like Beth will just release some uh, and people can buy her PDFs of her puzzle for like 10 bucks and you can work on these. So what is the prize for... You for hers usually you get the painting the oh, the painting cool. she does yeah it is because I have part I have one of her paintings at home because I uh, it's part of a, like her Wizard of Oz there was a Wizard of Oz based one where her cat paw she didn't know like the person didn't want the painting or whatever so her whoever she put a bunch of ones on the ground or whichever one her cat's paw touched got it I have it at home. <laughs> Funny. So yeah and people a lot of people like do independent ones now and. But the internet changed so much of the way that they are done now. Yeah. I mean, one we don't have any, I mean, we can probably talk about is Forrest Fenn. Yeah. You know, that one was solved not too long ago. You know, it was basically a, a short poem. 
Yeah. But and still then people now, died. Now, that, I was going to mention that. There was one recently in the last five years yeah, or whatever. Yeah. There were some. But now there's died. all these theories about that, that that person was given the answer. So, yeah. you know, basically it was he thought he was going to die from cancer. He had he was pretty well off, put a bunch of gold and knickknacks or whatever things that were expensive into a chest, made this poem. People would go looking for, I mean, there was an episode of Expedition Unknown where it was on there too, and Josh was looking for it. And it got solved, and, you know, it was the same thing. There were people that kind of knew where, where where it was, and if you didn't agree with them, they wanted nothing to do with you. We'll get into that here with a little <laughs> bit of the next this one. this next one. But, uh, yeah, and then people would die because they'd be like in, you know, really hell sand. Really yeah. dangerous yeah. areas. Yeah. 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 Or uh, wherever in the desert, and they would die because they didn't go in with enough water. And mm. so eventually that got to be newsworthy. And then eventually somebody found it not too long before – was it not too long before or not too long after? I think not too long before Forrest Van died. Yeah. And but that's then, why somebody, some people believe conspiracy-wise yeah. that he knew he was dying, so he gave somebody the answer mm-hmm. because he was also sick of people dying trying to find this. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but the one Corey's going to talk about now is is fascinating for me because I worked on this one 15 years ago before people knew about this. There were only a handful of people actually working on this one. You know what I mean? Like, this has been out since the 80s. Yeah. And it, it was forgotten about except for hardcore armchair treasure hunters. So this one I used to work on back in the day when nobody knew where this what this was. And now it blew up with, with Destination. Is this the with secret? Expedition. Yeah. I know Macquarie okay. is going to go into the, which is right now the hot one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically it's the secret. Uh, 1982 author Byron Price published a 226-page puzzle book that combines 12 short poems and 12 elaborate paintings by renowned fantasy illustrator John Jude Palancar along with the story of the fair people, which is goblins, fairies, dragons, that fled their old world to a new world seeking to be free from the ways of man. Uh, Paired together correctly, each painting and verse leads to a different North American city that symbolically represents events and people that played significant roles in North American history, basically all immigrants. Each city is supposed to be represented by a different immigrant class. you know, Price would often be disguised as a con- construction worker. He went to local parks. Almost everything is in a park. And it's buried in ceramic containers or casks encased in plexiglass boxes at least two feet down in the ground. There's a key inside each cask, which can be exchanged for a jewel. And according to the book, the jewels collectively are worth over $10,000. The assumed cities are Boston, Milwaukee, Chicago, Cleveland, St. Augustine, Florida, Roanoke, Charleston, New York, New Orleans, San Francisco, Houston, and Montreal. And there's so much debate about whether those are the actual Mm -hmm. right cities or not. As of October 2019, only three of the 12 boxes have been found. Price, no, he kept no record of where the actual treasure boxes were located before his death. And unfortunately, he died in a car accident. Doesn't the artist know, though? He claims he doesn't, but he knows where these are. Because when the Boston one was solved, he was on... Uh, expedition unknown saying where all this stuff was in the painting mm-hmm. so he knows where these are that's what i think too but it's gotta suck to be like the one guy that knows where these are and then have everybody hitting you up like right. crazy people with their theories like hitting you up mm-hmm. that's probably why he claims he doesn't know yeah, i'm sure that's why he claims <laughs> yeah. he doesn't know uh the first of the 12 puzzles was cracked not long after the book was published by a group of students in chicago in 2004 a second box was uncovered in cleveland but then in that tragic turn of events, Byron Price died in a car accident. And then 15 years after that, the Boston puzzle was finally solved in 2019. 
and the Discovery Channel show Expedition Unknown with host Josh Gates featured the secret on three different episodes, two in season four and one in season seven. And that caused this to blow up. Like everybody and they knows found about something in that last episode. They found the Boston. Yeah. Because he was there for when they gave, they presented the jewel or whatever. And it was, it was, he inter- got a pin or something. Yeah, it was He's interesting to, to see that happen. And like, that was like on the message board, people are like, Josh Gates just apparently had to run from whatever he was filming because something happened. And that people yeah. are like, is this tied in with the secret? And I think Kurt mentioned with the previous armchair. Wait, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Oh, Kurt's having a dundersalt. I'm having a dundersalt. Just right now, out of nowhere. I should videotape this and no, this should go. It's my Christmas. It's your Christmas? It's my Christmas treat to myself. My, You know, like Kurt mentioned, when things are done right, they're done absolutely right. Everything works out. This one is a little bit of both. <laughs> there's the dundersalt phase. Um, there's things that are good and there's things that are obviously bad. The community started the last couple of years to get pretty bad. If you don't agree with where it is, they don't want anything to do with you. Um, they really don't believe anything. They don't want to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, they don't believe anything you say anymore. Um, and then with the explosion of it from uh, Josh Gates's show, there's people that are jumping onto it within like the first couple days, saying, "I know exactly where it is. Mm. I know where they all are." Yeah, I mean, there's Facebook groups dedicated to each city. There's an overall for just the secret, and then there's one broken down for each city. There's definitely you know websites. Um, each end dedicated to the city or the solve and it gets pretty rough you know there's even a, a secrets youtube channel where they have discussions it's like some of the guys that have been doing it for a long time basically have like a sit down and they all talk about currently what's going on with it and stuff like that um, so the one that kurt and i basically because we're in wisconsin and there's one in milwaukee you know, basically, that's the one that we chose to go down there and see, see if we could find it. Have we know. been down there once or twice? I think we've only been down there once. Yeah, but we drove down to Lake Park, and I'm convinced we know where it was or is. So I gave Krista a copy of the image and the verse. So, you know, obviously you did see the episode. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You know, which I know small. the park. I've been to that park, mm-hmm. not for that yeah. reason. I mean, just basically, I we'll just talk there. through the Milwaukee one real quick mm-hmm. and see that, you know, if you the first thing is the picture. You know, it's a beautifully painted painting. You know, an image of mm-hmm. it at least. It's got the woman juggling, and you just have like a tower structure in the background or whatever. So basically, what people did is the tower structure basically is almost a carbon copy of a building in Milwaukee. I think it's the city city hall. hall. Yeah. And then you have what she's juggling. You know, people came to see the walking stick, the flower, the uh, circle thing appears to be a millstone. Mm -hmm. There's a key and then two balls and a jewel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, using a rebus, people are able to say mill for the millstone, walking stick for Mm -hmm. the, and then key Milwaukee. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's just other kind of confirmers. There's what appears to be next to the millstone, like a locust. So people are assuming that there's Locust Avenue. I think that's a locust. There's people that argue about that, but I think that's a locust. Huh. And then there's apparently the outline of, you know, possibly Lake Michigan near Lake Park in Milwaukee. Um, so basically that was like the confirmer for it being Milwaukee. And then you just work your way through that, and then you work your way through the verse, which... You know, the first part of the verse is view the three stories of Mitchell. 
And basically in Milwaukee, you only have really two choices. There's the Mitchell Mansion. And the airport. And then there's the Mitchell Hall. Mitchell, oh. Mitchell, Mitchell Hall. Because yeah, the airport is also Mitch, called General Mitchell. Mitchell Hall and yeah. Mitchell Domes. Then there's the Mitchell Domes where mm-hmm. there's three of those. And some people think you start the Mitchell Domes, but yeah. I think you start the Mitchell at Mitchell Hall. So we tried three stories. Yeah, we tried doing the Mitchell Domes and it doesn't really get you anywhere, at least according to the verse. So then we chose the Mitchell Hall. And then it says, the next one is, as you walk the beating of the world. This is the one that people argue about. Yeah, it, there's a Kenwood Avenue um, for us, Kenwood was big in the 80s for being Speaker. speakers. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be a logical, like one of the next roads down from Mitchell Hall is Kenwood. I'm, I'm convinced that it's Kenwood. Yeah. That, so, it, that line leads you to. Yep. So that's what we thought. Then the next one is uh, at a distance in time from three who live there. So the next couple roads that head you towards Lake Park, which would be east, are Hackett, Downer, and Shepherd. And those are all famous Milwaukee residents and for whatever they were famous for. It was architecture there, there three or whatever. There there. And they used to live there. And then the next thing is at a distance in space from woman with harpsichord. That one people are stumped on. Like people don't know what who the woman with harpsichord is. Yeah. And then there's Marietta Street. Oh, yeah. So and most people seem to think that it's uh, Marietta Robusti. Um, she was a famous, played harpsichord, I guess, or piano or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, at the distance in space is just about maybe crossing into Lake Park. I mean, some of these things are not exactly for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Step on Nature and Cast in Copper are the next. That's where you're transitioning from uh, Step on Nature brings you into Lake Park. Step on Nature, I'm convinced, tells you to take Ravine the Road. Oak Leaf, Oak Leaf Trail. Some people say the Oak Leaf Trail, but it wasn't called the Oak Leaf Trail back when the then, book was. I think it's take you, what I think is it's doing is telling you to take Ravine Road and Casting Copper, of course, leads down to Lincoln. Yep, because then the next one would be Ascend the 90 stu- 92 Steps. And Lincoln, when you're on Lincoln, is it Lincoln Avenue? Lincoln Boulevard. Lincoln when you're on Memorial. Lincoln Boulevard, yeah, but I think that's, that's what, what cast, lake, I think that's Lincoln what Casting Copper is. Okay, and then yeah. you go down, and then we have the steps. Mm, that makes sense. Lincoln yeah, is so the 92 tiny. steps Ascended. is obviously the grand stairway leading up Lake Park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after climbing the Grand 200, well, it's also another one where some people aren't exactly sure the Grand 200. Um, and this one, I think, is 100%. The next one. Oh, the Past the Compass? Past the Compass. And, and I, I think the Compass is the North, North Point, Point Lighthouse. Lighthouse. Because, mm. I mean, compass could be any number of things, but there's a lighthouse there that's North Point. North Point on a compass. Yep. Sure. That makes sense. And then past the compass and reach the foot of a culvert below the bridge. You and walk past the lighthouse. And to me, past the lighthouse is important because that takes you to the second set of lion statues, lion statues on the bridge. Yeah, here's a lion statue that's... Oh, yeah. So in a culvert, when you're talking about the culvert, when you're on that bridge, you see that there's a trail going below you on the bridge. Yeah, and it's definitely a walking path. People yeah. have trodden it down over time. So, yeah. Uh, so to me, that's what that means is you're on that bridge, go off the bridge, go to the road, and then go on that walking path below the bridge. Yep. Then it says walk 100 paces. So we, we walked it off, and that got us right outside. So, 100 paces takes you right back down to Lincoln. Yep. And then we we went southeast. I had a compass on my phone. It mm-hmm. made us go southeast 100 paces. Like it, like Kurt said, it brought us right out on Lincoln again. 
And then here's where it gets the most trickiest. To the first young birch, past three, staying west, you'll see a letter from the country of Wonderstone's hearth. We don't know what that means. Yeah, but the three birches, you know, this was buried in 1982, or at least somewhere Trees about. might not be there anymore. Yeah, no. so basically what you end up going, if you end up going north a little bit, or south a little bit, sorry, you end up having this kind of incline where you're up into a pretty big uh, tree canopy. Yeah. Woods kind of thing. And then on a proud tall fifth at its southern foot, the treasure waits. And some people think proud refers to what lion the, statues. You'll see the letter from the country. We don't know. We okay. don't know what that. That's know. one that we're stumped it's not like on. Like a statue or something. It could have yeah. been something on a tree back then. Mm. Yeah. Like there, there was a Girl Scout trail that the Girl Went Scouts had there. their symbols on the tree. Mm. But I don't have it with me today. I totally forgot to bring it. But in the '80s and up until within like the last seven or eight years, when you looked on. If you go back, because you can go back and look on some sites that have old maps from the area, old aerial maps, and uh, you look on them even up to like seven years ago, along that pathway along Lincoln, there's been one solitary tree that you see that almost looks like in a little opening, and that's where I'm convinced that it was buried in that area. But now when you look... There's more trees there. Yeah, like, it's hard that to was pinpoint exactly on. which tree it was. But mm-hmm. you can see like a really obvious solo tree amongst all these other trees, and yep. I think that's where he buried it. Hmm. So that's where we Did think. Did you dig it all? No, no, because Milwaukee, you can't. Yeah, they, you, you, Josh have, must have had permission. He to had do permission, that? Okay. but even they said they would not give it yeah. to him anymore because are people cities, are destroying the parks. Oh, there sure. are cities that are good for it and cities that are bad at Milwaukee's, and no fault of the park department. You have people. No, that when just, you and I were there, we could see people dug yeah, all yeah. over the freaking place, and, and they that, just leave their holes. And they leave the holes. Fill them in. Yeah, it's not even safe at no. that point. No, nope. yeah. but and that's where the the positive and the negative of the fan base comes in. They're ruining that, it for yep. other people. And then that's basically almost every other city is going to start to get like that, where you have these people going into public parks and just prodding and digging holes and not filling them in. And yeah, hmm. I'm convinced we're right with our solution, though. Yeah. Like even her. Her collar on her picture aligns to like the road, the ravine road, and the other road that go into the park. So I mean, oh, I you think I'm, that's like streets. I think those two on the either side are like the streets. One of is ravine road that goes through the park, and the other one is another road that's right by the park. Hmm. But there's people down there that swear it's not in Lake Park. They think it's in Juno Park. Hmm. I'm, I'm of the mindset that it is actually in Lake Park. Yeah. And I think what I like about our solution is that. The picture is a juggler, and our solution brings you from above, down below, oh, back, back up, up above, which back like down below, juggling. which is like a juggler would do. Mm-hmm. So I'm convinced that, but the thing is, after all these years, that cast, after being frozen in the ground, and it's probably yeah. cra- it's probably busted. Yeah, I don't know what the frost level is, but if it's a minimum of two feet, he buried it. It's just in plexiglass, and it's probably been crushed. And then with all the tree roots that maybe worked its way around that big yeah. tree at one point. So the question is even, are these even still there? Yeah. Right. They're and that's like the thing the, for some the of The Houston them. one where people think the Houston was, was in the children's zoo in Houston. People think that that was redone. Yeah, the so New they Orleans think that one one's is... gone. They think the New Orleans one is gone because of hurricanes. Yeah. Oh, sure. But there's still people working on these. And that oh, Facebook daily, yeah. group is just nuts with people. And it's like you said, it's frustrating because I consider myself one of the old timers and we just get fed up when people are like no you guys don't have all the play there's there's one in in scranton somewhere and we're like no there's not one in scranton we have the a lot of them have the coordinates hidden like the latitude longitude coordinates so we know 
But then there's people that still, yep. like Corey and I were saying on the way down here, it's it's easy to pick where you want it to be and then backtrack your solution from there and force it to fit what you want. So this one is like the fan base is crazy. Crazy. There can be there are some crazy people involved in this, and I mean there's there's everything from taking it fairly literally. You know, and if you saw the episodes, you saw that Chicago and Cleveland are basically pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, see how it works out. Mm -hmm. Now you have people, and and no fault to them, they think there's shadows involved, and there people are overlaying Google Maps over that, and then using like angles and and stuff. And it's like, no, that wasn't available in 1982. No, put yourself in the mindset of 1982. Right, it's basically just like. A little coded thing telling you where to go. Yeah, it's about that's, landmarks, and that's why we think people are overlooking yeah. that, overthinking this. But yeah. we also, like I said, a lot of these places change so much, or they use stuff as guide points that aren't there anymore. Yep. you know. So, but this is the hot one right now. People love the secret, mm-hmm. and I do too. I always have, but like even Corey and I said, we can only go on the Facebook page so often before we're just like so annoyed by people that we just can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you get somebody I. I I saw the episode. I've been a member of the group for a week. I know where it is. And then people prod them with questions and they're like, I'm not telling you my solve. So then eventually they either get banned, you know, it's just like you basically have to prove. But then even when people, have it. new people do come with decent solves, all the old timers kind of pee Poo-poo on them. like, yeah, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about, which <laughs> makes them. What should be a supportive community of camaraderie is like. It's, yeah. Not yeah, it's, the opposite. Yeah. So that just kind of shows what the armchair treasure hunt community can be like. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, for being hmm. the most popular one right now, it's still crazy. And then obviously the expedition unknown, you know, just brought it to the forefront and people out there looking for it and trying to solve it. And basically, yeah, it's the... Who knows if these will ever be found. If any more of these, yeah. like the Boston one was found by luck that they yeah. were digging there and it was all busted when they found it because they were digging it up. Yeah, they were... But even that one was under... It was under a baseball field, under which kind of threw everybody off because they didn't think he would have it. But that episode was so good where he had uh, the two guys, that the bunch of guys that found oh, the original mm-hmm. ones and, and his daughters, Byron Price's daughters. Yeah, that was And, really and his cool. wife. So I thought that was really cool. I thought that was so well done. I cried during that one. I think everybody did. Yeah, yeah totally. I, I did. Yeah. Wow. But it's a, it's a fascinating thing. So if you are, if this interests you at all, look into The Secret by Byron Price and prepare to... Go down a rabbit hole. Did you finish the Dunder song? Yeah, it wasn't bad. Okay. Once Corey's right, once you get through that introductory layer, it's not that bad. Okay. It's not good by any stretch it's of the like imagination. A thing yeah. Again. Yeah, but it's not huh. horrible. They make you work for the good part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can't think of. I mean, that's basically it for the. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a little primer on armchair treasure hunts. Like I love these things. I can see why people invest all so much time and even money into it i yeah. mean well, like i even, can see once you get to a certain point you're like i can't give give up now i'm this close and like for milwaukee the the jewel that you find in the cask is an amethyst yeah, i think pretty, i can and buy an amethyst worth, at the crystal store downtown it's yeah, not that it's, it's not worth that much but just the fact of having to found it right it's the reward the journey the, yeah. is the reward kind like, of thing right like kurt and i said I, I really wish if we ever did find it we could remain anonymous mm. because it's just going to be a Everybody's going to be coming out of the woodwork asking for interviews, and that's not really our thing. Because this guy that found the Boston the one, people, this guy that found the Boston one, people like online trashed him yep. and said he was just going off everybody else's answers, and he doesn't. He's getting all the credit for everybody else's work, and it's just, it's it can be a good community and it can be an ugly community. Mm-hmm. I I think it's akin to like winning the lottery. 
I mean, not in the grand scheme of things in the scope, but it'd be nice if you could remain anonymous. Well, look at Beth. Look at Beth found that yeah. one, and she was all over the news yep. for finding that ten thousand dollar one mm-hmm. under, under that park bench. bench. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So there, these are still out. Uh, there was that mask. They're the the one based on Alice in Wonderland. Um, people are just putting these out all the time, but now they're yeah. smaller in scope than they were before. But they're still. They're still fun. They're awesome. Yeah, I think these guys from The Secret even did a 13th cask, like a commemorative. Yeah, yep. They did a commemorative cask. So there's a poem for that and a verse mm-hmm. or a, and a picture as well, a painting as well. So, yep. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, if you're in one of these states where there's a possibility of you finding it, nothing wrong with going out there and taking a look. And yeah. Everybody kind of has their ideas as to where to start and. You may be one of the lucky ones. It would be ones, just but... so cool to like dig one of these up and know you were the first person to open that since mm-hmm. it was sealed back in 1982. 1982. Yep. You know. So no, there we go. I'm going to end this with a quote from Bamber Gascioni, who we talked about before from his book, Quest for the Golden Hair. And I really like this. Tens of thousands of letters from masqueraders have convinced me that the human mind has an equal capacity for pattern matching and self-deception. While some puzzle addicts were busy cooking the riddle, others were more single-mindedly continuing their own pursuit of the hair, quite regardless of the news that it had been found. Their own theories have come to seem so convincing to them that no exterior evidence could refute them. These most determined of masqueraders grudgingly accepted that a hair of some sort was dug up at Amptill, but they believed that there would be another hair or a better solution awaiting them at their favorite spot. Kit would meet them there, undismayed by the much-publicized diversion at Amptill, and they would be looking forward to the day when he would greet them as the real discoverers of the real puzzle of Masquerade. Mm. And that shows you very much how the mindset of people that get sucked into this is, that you refuse to believe that somebody else won or that your spot was wrong, where you wanted it to be was wrong. Well, you invest so much time and effort into it. Yeah. It's, it's like to admit yeah. that defeat. But I, I'm as guilty of it because I'm convinced that our Milwaukee solve is right. I really think that's where it is. And I think everybody else is making it too difficult. Yeah. And, and then people you... are all like, well, if it's in that park, how come nobody's found it yet? Well, because that area was, and the, the five birches or whatever you were supposed to use as markers are gone. Yeah. I mean, if you look at everything, I mean, the, Chicago solve they weren't exactly anywhere close they had to get a hint from Price yeah before he was in that car accident yeah. and then the guys in Cleveland kind of just got lucky yeah I believe one of the guys just got frustrated and threw a probe into the ground and he hit something <laughs> yeah oh, and then funny. even the one in Boston was only being done because they were renovating the park yeah mm-hmm. the guy just happened to go by and see the construction crew and said hey if you find anything here's what you're looking for so all of them have basically kind of been lucky. Yeah. So if we, we think we're right in where we are in Milwaukee, it's still going to be luck. Because people said you're picturing this object bigger than it is, too. They mm-hmm. said it's like this big. I mean, it's not big. It's easy to miss. Yep. You know, I like that uh, the one that's supposed to be in Houston in that park. Uh, somebody found on YouTube there was some family that had uploaded a home video of them at the park in 1982. And in the background, you can see the four trees that aren't there anymore. And this person's hits on their YouTube just like skyrocketed mm-hmm. from people f- yeah. from the secret that came there. Well, even in the episode, they talked about the San Francisco one being faked. You know. Oh yeah, that Gerald Gay guy, yeah. the, uh, Gerald Gay, who was like one of the big guys from the Golden Owl puzzle yeah. from France, which is a huge armchair treasure hunt in France. Came, flew here, dug a supposed cask from the secret up in San Francisco, and then flew back to France. 
and it came out that that was fake, that he, he oh. went there and buried it, went home, and then came back and dug it up to give him cred wow. for being an artist. Yeah, so that's shady. Yeah, so that goes to the, the lengths that some of these people will go to. And I understand the frustration with kind of knowing where you think it is, but you just you got to deal with the fact you might never find it. And it's so hard for somebody younger to, to realize that this thing has been in the ground since 1982. Mm-hmm. And that's a long time ago. The mm-hmm. world was a totally different place back then. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hmm. there you go. There are some armchair treasure hunt stuff for you. Well, we have one more to talk about. We have one more to talk about, and it is one that I came up with and ran past Corey. Corey worked on it for a couple days. I did. Um, and Krista didn't, I forgot to tell Krista about it. So I sent her the poem the other day. So she has not worked on it. So she has not worked on it. <laughs> Basically, we're just doing this one for fun. If you solve this, what you need to do is either tell me, send an email to, send an email to the strange sessions contest at gmail.com and either tell me exactly where in the world my virtual treasure hunt is my treasure is buried or send me a screenshot of where it is buried it can be anywhere in the world but it's buried at a specific location and the location hypothetically not it's not actually there. there don't go there <laughs> although if you do send me pictures cuz i'm really curious to see but uh, it's difficult Corey had a hard time with this and I put a couple things in here to make it a little clearer. But I don't want to give you any clues at all now. What we're going to do is, this is coming out at Christmas. So if people are super stumped on this, I'll give a clue in the Strangers and on the Strange Sessions page. I know where it is, so don't go through me. You know, take Corey your, take is your exempt from winning. Yep. Krista's kind of exempt from mm-hmm. winning because she's... Take your hands you know, from Kurt. Uh, and Beth... Hold on, I guess exempt from winning because she'll solve this no problem, I think. But this is this is one of the problems about these armchair treasure hunts is I made it, so I think it's easy. Mm, and Corey said sure. it's not. Corey said it's... There were some steps that were easy, and then some I led me astray, and then I would talk to Kurt, and he'd be like, no. I'm like, well, then I'd explain how I got to it, and then he would kind of reel me back, and then I would I would get a little farther, and then I would send him something, and he'd reel me back. So it... To kind of help him narrow it down and, you know, get it a little more streamlined, it was easy or easier once I knew the solve to go back retroactively and look and yeah. see, okay, here's where I went wrong. Yeah. But, I mean, it, not everybody's going to get it right. So. No. Uh, but I'll put a, I'll put, I'm going to write this on a, like a note card or something or even take a picture of this because I want people to be able to look at it, mm-hmm. which is important. So. Basically, this poem is going to tell you where my treasure is buried. Send me a screenshot on Google Earth or Google Maps of where it is buried. Or tell me in detail where it is buried. And this is all. I'm not going to give you any clues right now. So here is my poem. I'm going to stop and pause after each line for a little bit, okay? Just in case people are writing it down. Mm-hmm. The distant ground still cries... Cries until new hopes arise. A school in London, a windy saloon, a haunted hotel, or a rainy tea room. Find what these four things have in common, you see. Then go to its top, apex, apogee. Stable down below, the treasure lays, dreaming away its night and days. 
For another part of the solution, listen well. This will help lead you to where the treasure does dwell. In my first and my seventh, remove a starting letter, and then just to line things up a little bit better, in my eighth, add a letter to the start of a word. From these three, one of several can be inferred. You don't need to just take a shot in the dark. You're looking for the one that's related to Mark. And as far as clues, here is the third. This next line may help you with finding a word. Inside this poem, some firsts can be aligned. If you string these three together, the answers you'll find. Google search will help, and Google Earth too. Zoom in a little, and this puzzle will be through. At its bottom point, the treasure is buried, and up to the heavens, all its love will be carried. So there you go. Hmm. That's nice. That's it. So Corey probably, because Corey knows the process to figure this yeah. out. Uh, once I'll give him a, I'll give him a hint. One hint is that there are three different pieces in this poem that will lead you to a word or a phrase or something. And if you string probably two, even just two of those three things together into Google search, it'll help narrow down where it is. Hmm. So there you go. Cool. Again, I so will... we're going to post this on Instagram. And Instagram, Facebook. our okay. group. Yeah. Cause I'm curious to see if anybody can find this. And the first person who gets it right, we'll get a prize. It's probably going to be a gift card. We're, we're going to talk about and see what from where or what, but there's going to be prizes involved. We're just going to, we'll probably post that when we post this episode. Cause Krista, Corey and I will talk about what, what prizes we want to give. But there you go. There is your armchair Fun. treasure hunt. Good, Good luck. Good luck, everyone. Yep. It is anywhere in the world. Good luck. Cool. And I think that's it. Yep. <laughs> so I'm just so curious if anybody finds that. I'd imagine somebody will right from the get-go. Like you said, once you knew where it was yeah. and you went back through the poem, everything kind of lines up and makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, when I put some of the things in for a Google search, uh, I could have went a couple different ways. Yeah. And then other words in there will help you work your way Narrow it down yeah. even more. So it's, a, it's, it's, I think it's easy, but it might be tough. So we will post an image of this so you can work on it a little easier once we post this episode. But I think that's it for this Christmas Eve. Hopefully, Should we do, do we have any listener questions? Because we didn't do oh, any in yeah, the last Oh, yeah, let's do episode. a listener question. Hopefully this was an okay episode. Yeah. We just kept teasing that we were going to talk about armchair treasure hunts at some point. So we kind of had to. And I, I love them. I love them. I think they're so awesome. Especially ones that are, have been around since the 80s and aren't solved yet. Mm-hmm. You know. I think of all the ones that we don't even know of yet. You know, there's got to be a bunch out there. And... Mm-hmm be interesting to tackle one that mm-hmm. is brand new work your way through it wow we need new ones Uh-oh. i think we've done all of ours really yep shoot well here's our call out for listener yes we need more questions. listener questions um yeah we've done these I like this person said, I have to say, it took me a couple of podcasts to actually appreciate your style, but now you are the first podcast I look for every week. Thank you for bringing everything you do to the table. Very entertaining. Thanks a bunch. You're so welcome. No, we're not doing a song choice. We didn't talk about that. I live in Leicester, UK, and was wondering if you could go to any place in the UK to explore paranormal cryptids or just anything mysterious. Where would it be? 
I don't remember that one. Uh, maybe we didn't do that one. There's I would love so to go anywhere things. in London, in England. Yeah. I would love to go to. Uh, yeah, I'd like to just go there. <laughs> one place that I think is overrated is Stonehenge. I don't know if I'd really care to go to. Mm, like, I would. I wouldn't like that. I mean, I'd like to see it, but I wouldn't want to go there just to investigate it and be like, ooh, you know. Yeah. I'd rather explore a castle somewhere. Yeah. Or like the Moors. Mm-hmm. Tower of London. Tower of London I've been to. Tower of London was cool. Oh. Yeah, that was interesting. And the only one I ever, the other one I have, the last one somebody asked is, have you ever been to another country? Oh, really? Yeah, I have. So have I. I have you been? I've only been to Oh, yeah, America. you've been to Jamaica. Yeah, I went to Jamaica. And yep. I went to Mexico. I went to London. That's it, though. I literally have not gone to any. I've never even been to Canada. No, I want to <laughs> go to Canada. I do want to. So we need more questions, listeners. We, we need to travel more as well, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> We're a little boring. I feel bad we don't have any questions, any listener questions. Well, dang it. Maybe I'll, I'll see if I can do find a random question. Deep questions. Deep. By Jack Handy. How's that sucker <laughs> doing, Corey? He's still working on it. Still working on it. Here we go. If you could only eat one meal, or if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh. A specific dish, meaning? Yep. If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Probably pizza. I don't even know where to start. I feel like pizza is the thing I it's, it never disappoints. Like I'm always excited to eat pizza, and it can come in so many different varieties, like taco pizza or regular sausage and pepperoni. That's true. You know what I mean? I suppose I could do like chicken. I'm thinking spaghetti for some reason. Chicken. I could I could eat spaghetti day in and day out. I love like good spaghetti. So fried chicken for Corey. Yeah, well, like, just I guess chicken in general. I could do wings. I could do fried chicken. Sure. I could do chicken, chicken comes sandwich. in many forms. Yeah, might be the best. Season it differently every day. Mine would be pizza. Mine would probably be... I'm going to pick spaghetti. That's just stuck in my head. Last question. What would you sing at karaoke night? (laughs) Nothing. I hate singing in front of people. Yeah. I don't have a voice for singing. I don't either. I do, but I hate singing in front of people. So I'm the last person to do karaoke. There was one night that we were out after wrestling at a bar somewhere, and people were doing karaoke. And if I was drunk enough, I probably would do... Brandy, you're a fine girl from the 70s. Nice. I like that song. I don't think I could ever go up alone, but if we're up there with a group. Do like Bohemian Rhapsody or something? Oh, God, as a group? Yeah. Maybe if we ever get our our Strange Sessions show on the road, we'll have uh, karaoke. Don't hold us to that. Yeah, don't hold us to that. (laughs) At least the karaoke part. All right. I feel like that's it. Yeah. This is the last episode people are going to hear until season six. Until 2022. Cray cray. I know. I know. So I think that's it. So from the strange seller, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year. Happy Festivus. Festivus. Whatever. That's all I can think of. So just have a good rest of your Christmas (laughs) from Corey, Krista, and myself in the strange seller. Until next time, stay Stay strange. strange. Thank <laughs> you.